0: When we lived in the UK, we used to go and stay with my parents several times a year. Uh, London life can be quite oppressive. It's full on. Uh, So it's wonderful to get out to the Devonshire countryside. But when you stay with your parents, you realize that they do things very differently to the way that you do them. And there's always a temptation to start critiquing their lifestyle. I don't know about you, but i found myself saying things like, Mum, why'd you transfer the milk into a milk jug? It's already in a carton. Why, why <laughs> don't you pour it straight out of there? Or, Mum, why do you leave Post-it notes for yourself all over the house? Wouldn't it be better to commit things to memory? Or, or Dad, why'd you spend so much time doing uh, DIY and gardening? You, you should get out more. Get out, get out uh, for a walk on Dartmoor. I think us kids can be very condescending. We adopt this air of superiority And when we have those kind of conversations, we're as good as saying, well, if only you were as sensible as me, uh, well, this is the way you do things. I wonder whether it occurs to us that our perspective is just that. It's our perspective. Uh, We don't need to impose our way of doing things on everybody else. Well, this morning we're talking about judging others in matters of faith and conscience, and we're going to do so under four headings. Each one begins with the letter C. So, conscience, cause, criticism, and conduct. Conscience, cause, criticism, and conduct. Firstly, conscience. Before we go any further, we need to clarify what we mean by matters of conscience. Uh, We're not saying that it's actually quite a good thing if Christians have very different perspectives on moral issues. I mean, we, we, we can't say, well, you might see murder as wrong, uh, but I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, when we take the Bible as a whole, there are certain behaviors that are clearly wrong. Uh, the Ten Commandments give us uh, a clear example. Of course, our behavior as Christians isn't just guided by the Ten Commandments. We have the whole uh, canon of Scripture, the whole Bible. Uh, but it's a particularly obvious example. The Bible forbids certain kinds of behavior. These behaviors are always wrong, and they are wrong for all people. What we're looking at today are not issues of morality, but matters of conscience. These are the things about which the Bible doesn't give us any clear directives. And the early Christians had differences of conscience. Paul highlights two, gives us two examples. The first one in verse 2, he says, One person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, food that's been offered to idols, and there's probably a connection here. Uh, Across much of the ancient world, uh, food, and particularly meat, that had been offered to idols was later sold in the public market. And some Christians had no qualms about buying this meat and enjoying it. Uh, But for other Christians, they'd say, well, if this meat has been used in demonic, pagan worship, I want nothing to do with it. I think we can sympathize with that. But what Paul is saying is this. He says you're at liberty to eat this meat, uh, but equally there's nothing wrong with rejecting it on the grounds of conscience. Those who are able to eat the meat with a clear conscience, Paul calls the strong, and those who reject the meat, Paul calls the weak. Uh, But this doesn't mean that those who eat the meat are somehow superior Christians. Paul goes to great lengths throughout the book of Romans, his letter to the church in Rome, to explain that we are all on a level footing as Christians. All of us are sinful, undeserving human beings that come into God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. Matters of individual conscience uh, don't make a blind bit of difference to any of that. So the next example Paul gives comes in verse five. He says one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Remembering that the church in Rome comprised both Jews and Gentile converts, we can easily imagine how there might have been differences of conscience relating to the observance of religious festivals, particularly the Sabbath. Were Christians to observe the Sabbath? Uh, What about Passover? What about the other Jewish festivals? See, the early church, uh, which was made up of, like I say, Jewish uh, converts, Gentile converts, had to thrash out these things, work them out. Uh, Well, the church began meeting at a very early stage on a Sunday because that is the day when Jesus uh, rose from the dead but there were still questions about how this Sabbath would be observed. Again, Paul says, you have freedom in these matters. You might consider Sunday to be especially holy, or you might consider every day to be equally holy. Either position is fine. By the way, Paul's not saying that we don't need to meet for uh, worship and fellowship each week. Uh, We'd be impoverished as individuals and as a church if we didn't. Uh, This is more to do with how the Sabbath is observed with regard to work and so on. You'll you'll know that Jews won't do any work uh, on the Sabbath. So Paul gives us these two examples. Uh, Interestingly, uh, variations of both and many other examples come up in the church today. Uh, So I was recently asked whether it's okay for a Christian to eat pork. Uh, Of course, in the Old Testament, God's people are prohibited uh, from eating pork along with a host of other unclean animals. However, in the book of Acts, uh, Peter is given a vision in which he is explicitly told that no animal is any longer unclean. He can eat anything. Uh, But even though we have a clear word on this, we should still respect people's conscience on the matter. And we'll come to that uh, a bit later. Again, there are some Christians uh, who still worship on a Saturday. Uh, whereas most of the church worship on a Sunday. This isn't a moral issue. It's simply a matter of conscience and conviction. And this brings us to our next C, which is cause. What causes people to make these kind of decisions? Well, Paul sums it up in verses 5 to 6. He says, Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and they give thanks to God. Paul is not talking about people who are motivated by dead religion and petty-mindedness, nor is he talking about people motivated by uh, hedonism and selfishness. Paul is talking about people whose perspective is shaped by their love of God and a desire to be obedient to him in all things. When it comes to matters of conscience, Christians can see things very differently, even though their motivation is the same, the love of Christ. And we shouldn't underestimate the part that culture has to play in all this. As we've seen, the church in Rome was made up of Jewish and Gentile Christians. For both groups, it would have been a huge shift from their previous way of life to the Christian way of life. And again, we need to stress, we're not talking about compromising on moral issues. We cannot recategorize sin according to the norms of our culture. Sin is sin. But when it comes to matters of conscience, our culture significantly impacts our point of view, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. For example, I'm guessing that most of you come from homes where it's considered uh, rude to belch and burp at the dinner table. I like to think that most of us would feel uh, fairly self-conscious about doing this. Uh, A few wives are looking disapprovingly at their husbands now, but we won't go there. Uh, But supposing you move to Bahrain, where burping after a meal is a sign of appreciation. It's a way of saying, I've been well fed, thank you. It'd be very hard for us to break out of our mindset, wouldn't it? It would still feel, feel very uncomfortable to be belching at the table, even if we knew that it was so- socially acceptable. We've all been shaped by our culture. Now, when it comes to issues of morality, that can be uh, a dreadful thing. But it's not really a problem regarding matters of conscience. Belching at the dinner table is, uh, is a matter of social etiquette. Uh, but for the Jews, eating certain types of meat would make them unclean. It would defile them. Uh, that is what they'd grown up with. It had been drummed into them their whole lives. So I think we can understand why it would be difficult for them to change certain behaviors. Of course, when we give our lives to Christ, we all have to change our behavior. Uh, and that is an ongoing process. But there are certain behaviours that are okay. Uh, They're not necessary, they're not required, they're not essential, but they're okay. Uh, One issue that was quite prominent at the last church where we served uh, was whether or not it's okay for Christians to drink alcohol. Uh, Our church was located... In one of the uh, most multicultural few square miles uh, on the planet, uh, there were 300 languages spoken in a very small geographical area. And those cultural differences uh, were often evident in the church, particularly uh, people's attitude to alcohol. I remember speaking with one lady who had recently moved from uh, Kampala to London. And she was shocked. I mean, genuinely very shocked to see our vicar drinking a glass of wine. Uh, In Uganda, it's generally accepted that Christians don't drink any alcohol at all. In the UK, most Christians think it's okay to drink in moderation. Um, The Bible clearly warns against drinking to excess, but there's no explicit prohibition on drinking alcohol. Uh, Jesus turned water into wine, presumably, so that people could drink it. Nevertheless, I think that Paul would say that drinking alcohol is a matter of conscience, much the same as eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Uh, Personally, I don't drink very much at all, but that's because I associate drinking with a a very negative and turbulent period of my life. Um, When I gave my life to Jesus, I found myself drinking less and less. Uh, But the problem arises when we allow other people's choices made in good conscience to negatively affect our opinion of them. Which brings us to our next C, criticism. So we've had uh, um, conscience, cause, and now criticism. So let's stick with uh, the alcohol for example for a moment. Uh, Christians who drink might say to those who abstain, oh, don't be silly. And those who abstain might say to those who drink, don't be worldly. You see, we make judgments about matters of conscience, and those judgments can lead to criticism. It's unnecessary, and it's unhelpful. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be accountable to one another. We absolutely should. Uh, Personally, and at the risk of being bombarded with emails, uh, if I'm in error, I would hope, I would expect a Christian brother or sister to point that error out to me. Uh, Sometimes Christians do need to admonish one another, uh, not in a critical way, but in a helpful, loving, and supportive way. But if our standards of Christian living are more stringent than God's, well then there's a problem. We serve God, not human beings. If God is not displeased with a choice that we make in good conscience, why should our fellow Christians be displeased? As Paul says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Well, most of us don't have servants, but imagine you'd hired a builder to build you a house, and you carefully monitor the progress. You visit the site regularly, you talk with the builder, uh, you uh, look to see what he or she is doing, and you're very happy with the progress. Uh, Now, there's an occasion when you visit the building site, and you have an interfering neighbor on the site criticizing the builder that you've hired uh, for the work that he's doing. And this neighbor's saying, oh, I don't think that wall is straight. And, and uh, why have you installed that kitchen? It's totally wrong for this house. It's ghastly. And uh, what about all this rubble in the garden? You need to go and tidy that up straight away. You'd be like, hang on a minute. I've hired this builder, not you. And I don't have a problem with any of this. What right has the neighbor got to make demands of the builder that you've hired? And what right have we got to judge other Christians on matters of conscience. These matters are between the individual and God. So our last C is conduct. How should we conduct ourselves in these matters? How does God expect us to behave towards fellow Christians who disagree with us on one or more of these matters of conscience? Well, you remember that Paul spoke about the strong and the weak. The strong are those believers whose conscience is not seared when they enjoy the full freedom afforded by Christ. Uh, The weak are those believers whose conscience won't allow them to enjoy certain freedoms because some things just don't sit right with them. Uh, We've seen that what's important is the motivation. If the choice that we're making is made for love of Christ then there's no problem. Again, I reiterate, we're talking about matters of conscience, not issues of morality. So firstly, how should the strong behave? Verse 1 says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Uh, So if a particular matter comes up in conversation, we might give our point of view, but we don't force the issue. There's nothing to be gained about uh, by arguing about this stuff. Uh, for example, I know Christians who don't have a TV at home because they feel that it's quite a negative influence. Um, I would think that most of us do have a TV at home, but neither of those positions is necessarily wrong. We have the freedom to act according to our conscience. But those of us who have TV shouldn't make the ones who don't have TVs feel bad about it. We need to respect their uh, th- their choice and see the motivation behind it. And I think uh, with this particular example, it's quite easy to see the rationale behind it. Sometimes I wish we didn't have a TV, but we, we do. Um, and we don't say every time we see that person, uh, so when you're going to emerge from the Stone Age and get yourself a TV, we respect the person, and we respect their choice. But in some situations, we go even further than that. Verse 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another, Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. There are certain behaviours that are not wrong. They're not things that God prohibits. Uh, But if we engage in them, we could cause uh, a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, to struggle in their faith. It can be very damaging for a person's faith to see another Christian, especially one they respect, doing something which they regard as off-limits for Christians. Now, I've said this uh, several times. We're talking about matters of conscience. But for the Christian whose conscience is pricked by eating meat or uh, drinking alcohol or whatever it might be, it does for them become an issue of morality. And so Paul says that it's better for us to go without certain things if that's what it takes to preserve another Christian's faith. What does that look like? in practice. Well I think we need to take it on a case by case basis. We need to gauge uh, what impact our actions are going to have on other people. For example, the Christians that I've known who have not had TVs, well they've not had a problem with the fact that most Christians do. It's not been damaging for their faith, uh, but uh, if we had kids from that family over to our house, of course, we'd ask, you know, is it okay for them to watch a bit of TV, or would you rather they didn't? It's just being respectful of the choices that they've made and the the life that they live. Uh, Likewise, if you had friends over for dinner who didn't eat meat, you wouldn't just serve them a bowl of lettuce while you tucked into a huge (laughs) burger you'd make the effort to cook something vegetarian for, and be uh, vegetarian just for that evening. It's respectful. It's loving uh, to uh, the person that we've invited. Going further up the scale, if I were called to missionary work in Uganda, and that's not on the cards, but if I was, I wouldn't drink anything at all, not even the occasional glass of wine because I know how damaging that could be uh, for the people to whom I was ministering. Paul puts it very strongly indeed. He says, do not by your eating or drinking destroy someone for whom Christ died. So we're free to enjoy certain things, but sometimes we ought to forgo them for the benefit of others and especially for the peace and unity of the church. Uh, so that's the obligation of the strong. But how the weak to behave? Uh, well, first it says this, uh, they're not to judge someone for doing something that the word of God doesn't forbid, either directly or by clear principle. Uh, But they also have another obligation, and that is to be true to their conscience. In verse 14, it says, But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. In other words, we can do, or if we do, a good thing with a wrong motive, we are in fact sinning. If I believe that it's morally wrong to eat meat, and I go ahead and eat meat anyway, I am deliberately doing something that I believe to be morally wrong. But in reality, it's not the action that's wrong, the, the, the eating of the meat, it's the motivation that's wrong. Uh, the fact that I believe this uh, the, the thing to be wrong, and I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to do it anyway. And so the weaker brother or sister, Paul says, must be true to their conscience. So in conclusion we have tremendous freedom in Christ. Anything that scripture doesn't forbid is lawful to us but not everything is helpful. But equally we must exercise great love and restraint. Our chief concern is to see our brothers and sisters grow in their faith and that takes precedence over our freedom to enjoy God's gifts in the world. In essence Uh, We must be true to our conscience, and we must respect uh, the conscience of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you do give us uh, very clear moral boundaries. Uh, But there's also a lot of decisions that we make in life where, uh, where we don't have a clear directive in Scripture. And we need to obey our conscience. We pray, Father, that uh, you, will, you will help us to do that uh, without judging people whose conscience uh, moves them perhaps in a different direction. Help us to accept one another. Help us to uh, work well with one another, to love each other, to be respectful at all times. And Father, we pray for the unity and the sense of family that we have here in St at St. Andrews, and we pray that that will continue to grow and increase as we move forwards together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.